0: Yeah, really glad if you decided to uh, participate, take part in our worship today. Thank you, especially for those of you who are online. Folks who showed up here are kind of captive. I mean, they could get up and walk out, but then everybody would see them those who are online can just click off and nobody will ever know. True. Thanks for sticking around. Even those of you who are here, thank you for not getting up and walking out. I appreciate that. More than you you will ever realize. I have had once or twice people get up and walk out. Well, it's, that's another story, another time. We'll talk about that some other day. Uh, now, by the way, never in Bay City, just so you know. In the 29 plus years I've been here, I don't recall anybody ever getting up and leaving because they weren't, were upset with me, okay? So maybe have been sick or something else, but never just because they didn't like what I was saying. You're going to breathe a sigh of relief or whatever you thought I was talking about folks in this congregation. I wasn't. Okay. Uh, In Mark's record of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Mark, he recounts uh, several questions that Jesus asked his disciples. And uh, that got me to thinking, what do you think he would ask us? What do you think Jesus would ask you and me? So, this month we're looking at four of the questions Jesus asked his first followers to find out how they might help us connect with Jesus and discover questions he might ask us. One of the questions uh, he asked seemed like one that he should have asked his opposition, but he asked his disciples. The first time we we hear about what he asks about uh, is he's looking at people who are trying to trap him and he's angry that's what it says in the third chapter they're watching him because he's in the synagogue and there's a man there with a physical problem and they're watching him to see if he's going to heal him. Religious leaders are. And, you know, it's the Sabbath. We don't work on the Sabbath. And he wanted to see if he was going to work on the Sabbath by healing this man. And Jesus did, after he stared them all down, angry at them because of their hardness of heart. Now we're at Mark chapter 8. They're in a boat. A lot of things happen in work, it seems like, uh, in a boat, on the water. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. They're, they're in a boat and they have, the disciples had forgotten to take bread except for one loaf of bread. And again, I want to remind you we're not talking wonder bread, we're talking pita bread. Twelve disciples plus Jesus, 13 guys, 13 men in a boat with one pita bread. Now they had forgotten to take bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus ordered them Watch out for the have be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So they began to discuss with one another about having no bread. Jesus says, Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, and they go. Man, how's one pita bread going to feed all of us? Something went right over their heads. When he learned of this, when you're in a boat, it doesn't take long to figure out what other people are talking about. Jesus said to them, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand Have your hearts been hardened? Though you have eyes, don't you see? Though you have ears, can not you hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many pieces, or how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They replied, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They replied, seven. Then he said to them, Do you still not understand? Now I'm going to pause for a moment. I read that with a tone of frustration. Some commentators think Jesus said that with a smile. I don't know. You can't tell. That's one of those things about printed things. You can't tell what the tone of voice was. He may have been smiling and just going, Well, yeah, when are you guys ever gonna get this? This is just a hoot. I don't think so, but, but here's the question I have. How earth could Jesus ask his closest followers if their hearts were hard? When they lived with him, how could somebody who spends 24-7 with Jesus get a hard heart? How could he think that that could happen? So I started asking questions, this is what I like to do, um, you know, what is Jesus getting at? When well, he asks to be, tells them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, what is he getting at? Now, what is the, and it, I think it has something to do with the nature of God's kingdom. What is the nature of God's kingdom? Right before this, Jesus had had an interaction with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had said to Jesus, give us a sign. Do a miracle for us. Now, we're only into eight chapters. This is kind of the halfway mark because there's only 16 chapters in in Mark's record. Uh, So we're kind of toward the middle of his record. Jesus has already healed people he's uh twice now fed people from sack lunches uh he's well the Pharisees didn't know about him walking on water but he's he's done that with him. and he's he's done all kinds of miracles he's cast out demons he did that in the synagogue and got in trouble for that too um he's done all kinds of miracles and they say to him give us a sign and we'll believe in you Jesus orders the disciples, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. The Pharisees were the main religious group of the day. They were the Bible-believing conservatives, um, and they had a list of signs and miracles that the Messiah was expected to perform when the Messiah came, and Apparently they were thinking Jesus hadn't quite met the, their criteria, and they expected to Jesus to fit their agenda for the Messiah, and if not, they weren't going to believe in him. And if he did, then they said they would believe in him. You, you, Here's the list. Fit the list. We'll believe in you. Don't fit the list. Man, we think you're a fraud. You can do all kinds of amazing things, but we don't care unless you fit our list. Herod, on the other hand, was terrified of Jesus because he feared losing his throne to somebody else. He was afraid of Jesus because he thought he was John the Baptist come back from the dead. And, you know, nothing's worse than uh, a prophet that you thought you killed, that you didn't really want to kill, but then you did kill him because, well, that's another story. We'll talk about that some other day. Uh, he did kill the prophet, and he beheaded him, actually. And um, then you think he's come back, and he's doing all these miraculous things. Uh, that's scary. And then there, he did remember the story that his dad had told him about these wise men had come years ago, about the king being born, and it, they don't know if they ever got the baby and Uh, Herod was terrified. See, Both the Pharisees and and Herod were focused on a kingdom in this world. One of the things the Pharisees expected the Messiah to do was establish God's kingdom on this earth and kick the Romans out of Jerusalem and Israel and establish Israel again as a major world power, if not the world power. They thought the Messiah is going to be King David ruling the world again, basically everybody's going to come about of us and we're going to be in charge. That's why the, later the disciples, his two of his closest disciples, James and John, came to Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on your right and on your left. In other words, we want to be your right hand, left hand rulers. We, we want to be in charge right after you. And Jesus is going, you guys, you know, he didn't say it. He says, but he is thinking to himself, you don't get it yet, do you? I'm going to suffer. Do you want to join me? Oh, yeah, we'll do whatever you need to do. Yeah, we'll go. okay, yeah, you will, but it's not what you think it's going to be. Uh, the Pharisees are respecting the world. Herod wanted to hang on to his worldly kingdom. And Jesus has been trying to tell people, and he's going to become even plainer with his disciples, that the kingdom he's come to bring is completely different. See, in his kingdom, 5,000 people ate uh, and were fed with leftovers off of a sack lunch. 4,000 people ate and were fed off of a sack lunch. Incurable diseases were cured And supernaturally oppressed people were released from that oppression and the Messiah was going to suffer and die and rise from the dead. Rejected by the kingdoms of this world, the religious kingdoms and the political kingdoms and the people. God was on the move, Jesus was bringing in a completely different kind of kingdom than all of them expected, including the disciples. In his kingdom, Jesus would be a sacrifice and the servant king. He would call his followers not to reign over other people but to serve them. He called them to deny themselves, to take up their crosses and to follow him So one of the things he was doing to them was saying to them when he says watch out for the Pharisees the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod is don't get too caught up in their agendas. And they're going, we only got one loaf of bread one pita for 13 of us here, what are we going to do? Right over their heads. So Jesus asked, Have your hearts been hardened? What a great question. Which leads us to the question What is a hard heart? The simple definition of hard heartedness is a refusal to change, to a refusal to think differently. A refusal to, another word for think differently, the Bible word, one of the Bible words is repent. A hard heart refuses to listen to, to consider, to acknowledge or accept God's truth. Uh, a hard heart refuses to, to reject the lie that it's been believing and, and when it hears the truth that God presents to it. And, and the longer a hardened heart refuses to listen to the truth or consider the truth or acknowledge the truth or accept the truth or to reject the lie, the harder it becomes for it to turn around the rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's never impossible. Because as Jesus pointed out to his disciples, all things are possible with God. It just gets harder and harder and harder. Hard hearts don't trust Jesus. They don't believe in him. They have no faith in him. They believe he exists, they may even believe he's the Messiah, but they don't believe in him enough to change their minds. Faith is an inclination of the heart and eyes that see and ears that hear. And Jesus warned, had warned the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that demanding signs was really the exact opposite of faith and trust in him. Faith is not looking for a pragmatic certainty. Okay, you've checked off these six things on my list, therefore I can trust you. It's simply a deep inner confidence in Jesus, whether he checks off the boxes for us or not. I will trust Jesus whether he jumps through my hoops. Or not? Jesus is the king, not me. So how do our hearts grow hard? Even as disciples living with Jesus 24-7, it's possible. I thought about this for a little bit. It happened to the people of Israel who were following the cloud of God, the pillar of fire of the cloud through the wilderness. They became hard hearted. They saw plagues in Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They ate manna every day. They drank water that came out of rocks. Who knows how that happened? Except God said it would, and it did. They saw these miracles. They saw these things, and yet they grew hard hearted. They they could see the presence of God seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. If they ever wondered where's God, all they do is open the flap of their tent and go, "Oh yeah, he's right over there." It is so possible. It is possible to be so close to God and yet get hard hearted. How on earth does that happen? Author JD Walt who did the best job of explaining it, that I'm just going to share a couple of things that he's pointed out. Nobody ever sets out to be hard hearted. At least nobody I ever met. And most of us become hard hearted and don't realize it. So, how does it happen? JD says, I had this working theory. Hard-hearted people are typically the way they are because something has happened somewhere in their past that made them broken-hearted people. To protect themselves from that pain again, people tend to vow to themselves, they will never let it happen again. Never again. some cases, bitterness takes root and eventually hardness begins to set in and they become invulnerable, untrusting, and isolated. Even if they seem to be very relational people, he goes on to say, Unbelief does not so much come from a willful choice not to believe, but from a broken heart that has become hardened. And at that point, signs and wonders have surprisingly little effect on those people. Because a person with a hard heart, their way of looking at the world, their way of hearing things in general, has become distorted. And they have an insatiable desire to be right. I'm right. And everybody else is wrong. Now, I want, I want to be really clear about this. J.D. Walt points this out, and I like this. Hard-hearted people are not bad people. They're broken-hearted people. Our hearts, because we're human beings, our hearts are one disappointment, one wound, one heartache, And that's why Jesus can look at his 12 closest friends and his 12 closest disciples who live with him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and look at them and say, are your hearts hardened? Jesus knew hard hearts can develop even in his presence. So we need to be careful, and vigilant. We need to guard our hearts against the hardness brought on by clinging to our agendas and our plans and our ideas and trying to protect ourselves from being wounded instead of discerning Jesus' will. He calls us to pick up our cross. Not our comfortable mattress not our bulletproof vest not our tank you don't pick up a cross because it's comfortable and because it's going to keep you from being hurt If you've heard the story of what happened to Jesus on the cross, just pause for a moment with me and replay it quickly in your mind. He's asking you to pick up your cross every day. To deny yourself. The comfort and security of not hurting, of being safe, for his sake. We we don't want to build walls of protection around our hearts, and, and we want to be certain that we're not going to be hurt again. And we want to steer clear of any kind of distress that we possibly can. And that's what causes our trouble. We seek certainty and security and comfort. And they're all an illusion in this world. You can do everything you possibly can. Everything in your power to keep yourself safe and make sure and be certain that you got it all figured out and boom, it's gonna fall apart. Because any others, okay, I'm just gonna say it this way. There ain't none of us smart enough to get it all figured out and to prevent it all from anything and, and everything. Pain's going to happen. And then we're going to sit down and go, well, I'm going to make sure that, that never happens again. Good luck. You may prevent that one, but there's going to be something else. What Jesus wants us to know is that we must not let the quest for certainty override the gift of completely trusting you. Even if he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, because he'll be with us. Even if he takes asks us to pick up our cross, and he's got lots of splinters, and it takes us to places that hurt, and he gets us in relationships that hurt. The ways that the left the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod they bring this fear of failure. They just amplify that fear of failure, that fear of pain, that fear of hurt that wants to control us. And if we let it sit, it will only grow. And that's why Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees the yeast of Herod. Faith in Jesus means risk, not risk management. So sermon in a sentence. We can trust Jesus, or we can chase the mirage of certainty, but we can't do both. We cannot do both. In our efforts to protect our broken hearts, we can cling to our ideas and plans and agendas to, to keep ourselves safe so tightly that we cannot respond wholeheartedly to Jesus. And when he speaks to us, we may be worried about how on earth can I get feed 13 guys with one pita when I've just watched him feed thousands with a sack lunch. Can I just say that's the dumbest question to I have to talk about? If you're really hungry and you don't think that's big enough, hand it to the guy. Say, Jesus, we're hungry and this is all we got. You already know what he can do with it. Unless, of course, we were blind the first time and the second time to what happened. We, we fall into trap of thinking somehow we've got to figure it out. So we refuse to change our minds and we become hard hearted. And the only way out of those prisons, those prisons that we build for ourselves, to try to keep the pain out is to face pain with Jesus and then he brings healing and he brings freedom and he brings peace but we have to surrender our false sense of certainty that idea that we can t- take care of ourselves and make sure it's never going to hurt again and change it that fruit of faith in Jesus we can trust Jesus Or we can chase the mirage of certainty, but we cannot do both. And only one of them is going to give us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus would ask us the same thing today that he asked his first followers have your hearts been hardened?" now your response might be mine because I'm you know I have born raised well I was raised in the church I know the right answer well of course not hard-hearted people are those other folks If you want a list, I have some. Your immediate answer might be, who me? Couldn't be. Then who? Well, then you're good. But there's a better way. There's a better way to know. There's a better way to answer. Oswald Chambers, the author, a devotional author, wrote: The path to peace for us is to hand ourselves over to God and ask him. To search us. Not what we think we are. Not what other people think we are. Or what we persuade ourselves that we are or would like to be. But simply to say, search me out, O God. Explore me as I really am in your sight. One of the psalmists wrote it this way. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So Jesus asked, has your heart been hardened? The answer is search me. I'm pretty sure I'll lie to myself and I'll lie to you so this morning I want to invite you to join me in that prayer the psalmist prayed. I'm going to go through kind of line by line pause and let you repeat it you can whisper it you want to shout it I'll let you it's not going to bother me you want to just say it silently in your heart to, to the Lord, that's okay too. We'll just we'll go through it and pause and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Search me, O God, see if there is any offensive way. Search me, O God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, what we've asked you to begin now, continue to do. Take your time. Continue to search us. Reveal any place where we've become hard-hearted. Heal the brokenness. Amen. Bind up our broken hearts. Bring healing, freedom, peace, and joy that only you can do in Jesus. Knock down the walls, the barriers we've set up. Those of you who have joined us online for doing so. Thank everybody who's here as well. Hey, the Spirit of the Lord is on us. We have been called, we have been anointed, we have been given a task, a mission to join Jesus. We go carrying good news to the world. News about freedom from oppression and healing for the afflicted. Just as we seek and receive healing from Jesus, we want to share healing and freedom. The time of the Lord's favor is now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, said. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sound like you mean it, Mark. Okay, I will. <laughs> you. And I are sent. Let's go with Jesus. Amen.